Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental and more. Learn more at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Greetings and welcome to the Games Master Team Championships. This is Under Consultation, an episode-by-episode podcast guide through the UK's greatest video game challenge TV show, Games Master. I am one of your hosts, Luke Owen, and the Reading Console crew are my boys. And I am Ash Versus, and it's snowing, Luke. It's snowing. (laughs) This episode aired on the 25th of January, 1994. D-Ream are top of the pops with things can only get better. And Woody Allen returns to the top of the UK box office with Manhattan Murder Mystery. And as we've done before, we will leave the Woody Allen film at the fact it was a Woody Allen film. It was co-written by him. It starred Alan Alder, Woody Allen, Angelica Houston and Diane Keaton. It had a budget of 13.5 million and a box office of 11.2 million. That's that. That's that. Uh, but we've got four weeks of D-Ream at the top of the box office. Um, you know, it's the song of labour. The, the political party, not the, the act of giving birth. Although there are probably some parallels there regarding general elections that we could draw. And hey, we got four weeks of it. We may draw it. One of the things that surprised me about this song is I remember it, but I don't remember there being such a gap between it being released and Labour using it as their campaign song totally the same thing i genuinely thought it was released like in my head canon it was released like in the same year but we're talking about this as a number one in 1994 and we're remembering it as the labor party campaign song in 1997 but we've already had this song once because this song was originally released in 1993 and whilst it did chart it only reached number 24 hmm this was a re-release yeah this was a remix and at this oh, point it became a bigger hit It was actually a year apart. It was released in January 93, and then this was obviously January 94. And this is the point where it became a hit for the first time before it became part of Tony Blair's marching band. Mm. Now, the story of this song uh, starts with the frontman of D-Ream, Peter Cunner. He was in an indie band at the time called Tie the Boy, and he moved to London, and the deal that the band had signed to broke down and the band broke up. He stayed in London, working in clubs, also having an office job, but like the music career was still really his desire and one day he was really down about it when he was working in an office as legend has it one of the girls working in the office said don't worry things can only get better and peter thought hey that's a great campaign line for labor 
No. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, and that girl was Tony Blair. But he got the idea for the song right there, and with some help from Jamie Petrie, wrote the song. But at that point, it ended up on a stockpile of songs. He had over 300 unrecorded songs. What was he, Prince? I mean, I doubt Prince ever worked an office job. Uh, he might have done, in those wonderful high heels of his, getting faxes and that. And his desk would be one of those children's desks from Ikea. <laughs> but two years later, Peter started a new band called Dream, And while they were working on another track, Things Can Only Get Better came back into his head. But they worked on that song for over a year until they felt it was right. And even at that point, it only reached number 24. Alan McKenzie left Dream. They wanted to go in different musical directions. And eventually the song got re-released. Now, the first version that was made of this song originally had an a cappella introduction that was meant to be on the single. The record company cut it off because record companies. Mm-hmm. However, for 1994's remix and reissue, the introduction was reinstated. And hey, Luke, here we are. It's number one. And oh my God, this track is such a banger. There's some songs that I see come up and I'm like, oh, I'm going to have to go and listen to that to remember it. Not necessary. Absolutely not. No, I don't know whether it's just because it was so much in the news and sort of pop culture of 1996, 1997 with the, the Labour Party, you know, Tony Blair's rise to, to power and being the, becoming the Prime Minister. But yeah, this song is just something that is part of like the British zeitgeist of just like, I, if you name the song, I can hear it instantly. And I know exactly how it sounds. I know exactly the beats. I know exactly like what comes next. And I've got it running through my head right now. And I haven't actually listened to this song in probably since Labour were in power. I I also remember it turning up multiple times, both before the Labour campaign and after. Like if you want a children in need or a comic relief or, you know, an international football tournament where we're stinking it up, Mm -hmm. it would get trolled out for that. It's like, oh, we lost on penalties again. Oh, well, play D-Ream. That'll help everyone. Exactly, yeah. It's got such a nice, like, hook and, you know, the the words have got, like, some lovely meaning to it of, yeah, things can only get better. It's kind of like, it's a very uplifting song. I'm excited that we've got another three weeks, or four weeks, in fact, of of D-Ream. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, there's still more that we can talk about. With this, the critical reception, maybe we can talk a little bit about its use for the Labour Party because... We're probably not going to want to talk to it by the time talk about it by the time we get to 1997. I was going to say it does come up in our timeline, and so does this song because that Labour Party usage does cause this song to chart again. Although I don't believe at number one. Well, I don't have any new uh, video games released this week, but I thought I would add a new feature to this that I don't know why we haven't thought to uh, to do before, which is to look at sort of what else was happening in tv i found a wikipedia page basically that was just like 1994 in british tv and i was like oh brilliant because i can just sort of look at like you know iconic tv events that happened throughout the year and maybe it'll spark some other conversation and stuff here are some of the things that we've already missed from 94 there's only three things because there's nothing that actually happened in this week annoyingly but january 5th the empath an episode of star trek is shown on bbc2 for the first time in the uk having not been seen on british television since the original series run on bbc one January 14th, an episode of Brookside shows a lesbian kiss. And January 16th, the first edition of Time Team broadcasts on Channel 4. Man, Channel 4 breaking grounds in multiple ways there. In Time Team, literally breaking ground. And with Brookside, I remember that lesbian kiss causing such a furore, particularly because my parents read slightly more conservative-leading newspapers. God knows how I got produced, really. (laughs) There are some things that we do in this podcast that are hard to look back on. 
Yeah, well, I mean, I was going to say, Ash, but like, it's not only does it get f- like fury here from uh, from more right wing press. It happens again in a couple of years' time because Coronation Street has a gay kiss, and it caused just as much uproar. I can't tell you what I felt about it at the time, or if I even had an opinion. Mm-hmm. I, I was more concerned with with Mario <laughs> than um, LGBT stuff. For me, it, it is. I, I remember the fury and I didn't was I wasn't watching Brookside, you know, the age that I was. But I know my uncle Ian, um, God rest him, he he loved watching Brookside. And I remember him talking about it. And I remember the event actually happening. But yeah, and, and I sort of remember the, the, the thing around it. But I don't think I ever saw it myself. Yeah, I don't think I was a Brookside viewer at that point. Biker Grove, yeah. Brookside, nah. <laughs> another fast and furious and extremely noisy edition of the Games Master Team Championship. Once again, three more teams are going to do their best to try and guarantee themselves a place in the championship semi-final. Coming up in a couple of weeks' time, you've got to watch out for it. Now, Dex welcomes us here by saying this is an extremely noisy edition of the Team Championships, and I don't think he's wrong. This crap, like, we've talked about this long recording schedule that they must have had to do the Team Championships and how, like, Dex and Dave often feel tired at sometimes, but then feel a bit more alive at sometimes. You know, we had the Christmas episode clearly filmed at the end where Dex was so hoarse. But the crowd have always felt like, you know, quite amped for a lot of this. They're not in next week's episode, in episode 22, but they feel quite amped here and they feel extremely noisy. As we've said before, I don't think they have to try to feel noisy because they're in a goddamn echo chamber. I've worked events in spaces that are essentially kind of like where they're shooting the team championship. And the one thing you don't have to worry about is something not being noisy enough. The thing you have to worry about is everything being too noisy, sound bouncing way too much. I'll say it again. I wish I'd had some lip ribbon mics because (laughs) feedback was an absolute asshole in a lot of these venues. I confess, I was watching this going, yeah, it's noisy. I don't know that it's that much noisier than a lot of the other episodes. No. Because let's go through the checklist. Rabbit crowd, check. Can barely hear Dex or Dave. Check. So standard. (laughs) It's another episode of the team championships. Just in case their enthusiasm wasn't enough, Dex does say, do you want to meet the teams? And the crowd are like, yeah. The one thing I will say for Dex, what I kind of appreciate about him during this this run, and you see it a lot in next week's episode as well, is that if the crowd seem tired, just say, are you excited? Because that's almost like a Pavlovian response by the crowd to be like, oh, yes, no, I am excited. You're absolutely right. And I will give you a cheer. So if the crowd just seem a little bit dead, he'll just go like, well, go, I'll give him a cheer. And the crowd will go, hey. So it's the same thing as there. It's like, do you want to go meet the teams? Hey. And again, it strikes that difference between Dominic, who very much doing his own thing, and Dex, who is going, I'm here to host light entertainment mode. Yeah. And it works. It works in different ways. Look at that for control. Right, what's your name? Kevin, I'm team captain. Yeah? Good man. Kevin? I'm Ewan. Ewan? Stuart. Stuart! So, Stuart, what would you say your favourite game is? Street Fighter 2 Turbo. Ah, so this is your beat-em-up expert, is it? Yeah. He's your beat-em-up expert, yeah? yeah? How do you think you're going to do tonight, Jets? Well, um, they've done well to get here, but I think we can beat them. Yes, well, there's brave words. Right, give them a big round of applause. We'll meet the next team. <laughs> Okay then. All right, the Elite Three. Looking very cool. Here they are, the Elite Three. Tell us your names. My name's Matthew from Birmingham. Team Matthew. Captain. Team Captain Matthew. Team Captain from Ashton. Birmingham. Ashton. 
Liam. Liam. So, guys, what do you think you're going to do? Come on, what am asking you? Send them back to Dundee. Going to send them back to Dundee? Crying. Crying. Yeah. Right, give them a big cheer. Women to Arsenal. So, tell us your names. I'm Turin and I'm team captain. Team captain Turin? My name's Ahmed. <laughs> you sure? Yeah. Yeah, you yeah. sure? My name's Earthhand Dexter. Ah, oh, is it Earthhand? <laughs> right, good. Okay, so uh, tell us what RCC means, because we don't know, do we? Reading Console Crew. The Reading Console Crew. Well, here they are, obviously, from Reading. Yeah. yeah. So, how's you think you're going to do tonight? We're definitely going to win it, Dexter. You are? Yeah. All right, well, good luck to all of you, especially you, Earthhand. We go to meet our teams, and as I said at the top of this show, we have a team from Reading, so of course I'm backing them to win this episode. Come on, the Reading console crew, RCC. Ah, oh, these are my boys, although one of them, Irfan, looks way older than everyone else that's here. I assumed Irfan was the chaperone, but even <laughs> though he's the older one, he's not the team captain. Turin is the team captain, and joining him and Irfan is Ahmed. Maybe. He's not sure, but it probably is. <laughs> Oh, can you like this is your first thing that you're doing on Games Master as well. You've just got onto TV and the first thing you do is forget your name. The only negative note I had on this team, Luke. Sorry to diss on your hometown boys. Where's the K? Oh, yeah, you yeah, it's a bit yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you're absolutely right. They should have been RCK. RKK, the Reading Console Crew. Yeah, 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 yeah. With I it. Suppose. Or yeah. even just Reading Console Crew with a K, because then it kind of spells rock. Oh, that's nice, actually. Yeah. See, I missed my calling in life. I should have been like a branding advisor to the team champion. No, never mind. But also joining them, we've got the Dundee Megabytes, Kevin, who's the team captain, Ewan and Stuart. And they are so tiny. <laughs> they are, aren't they? But I do like their name. I do like the name Dundee Megabytes. That feels like a sport team name, an eSports. Yeah. The other name as well, the Elite Three. It's a very simple name. It's not quite as cool as Dundee Megabytes, but there is something quite nice about it. Nice is about the only thing about that name because the Elite Three comprised of Matthew as the team captain, Ashton and Liam. Ashton says he's going to send the Megabytes back to Dundee crying. And my note on this is, Ashton is a prick. <laughs> I want him to lose so badly. No sportsmanship. Say you're going to beat a team. That's fine. Say you're going to win. That's fine. Say you're going to send him home crying. Piss off, mate. That's, well, just, that's just uncalled for. Let's see if we can have a bit of a redemption story uh, in this episode. Now we've got an arc for someone. So let's, let's keep an eye on old Ashton and see if he does get to have a redemption throughout this. I'm not sure if he does, but we'll soon find out as we recap the show. Uh, but let's get into our first challenge. What are we playing, Games Master? Tonight's platform challenge is on Yogi Bear for the Super Nintendo. Our contestants have 45 seconds and one life to collect as many clocks as possible and avoiding spooky balloons along the way. I'll award five points to the team who collects the most clocks, two to the second, and zero to the losers. It's the fucking clocks again. <laughs> deja, deja, voo, voo, voo. Yeah. We're playing Yogi Bear again, and you're collecting clocks again. Only this time it's got a different background, so we're on a different level this time. But yeah, this feels like... We, you know, we talked about with the, the Christmas episode... And it was like, well, we need to find challenges that we know that they can do. Like we use the holiday lemmings. It's the easiest thing that we could put them on. Oh, it's probably the training level where you literally just got to hold a mouse in place and click the button once. Maybe Yogi Bear was also that game where they had it here 
and then they were like what games can we get the panto people to do and, and dave was like well do you know what yogi's really easy like yogi's a very simple platform why don't you get them to play that and collect some clocks because one of my notes when this challenge actually gets underway is what a difference it makes seeing this game in the hands of someone that actually knows how platform games work because when i first saw the title come up i'm like oh great it's that yogi bear game again where for some reason he's no longer interested in picnic baskets he's instead become highly interested in horology and the art of clocks because why not that's what bears do apparently and then when the challenge actually got underway i realized i was enjoying this far more than i did the first time we saw this challenge it's still a bit of a bobbins game but there's some tension to Mm. this challenge and the tension isn't do they know which button is jump? Right, the game is Yogi Bear. With me is Dave Perry, my resident co-commentator and general all-round good geezer. Dave Perry, Dave Perry. All right, then. So the game's Yogi Bear. They've got uh, 45 seconds to collect as many clocks as they possibly can and one life. That's right. We've got Kevin Ogat first. He's in the hot seat. He's playing for the Megabytes from Dundee. Dave, tell us a little bit about him, please. Well, Kevin's big claim to fame is completing Mario in one hour, 15 minutes. He's used to jumping about on platforms. Mm-hmm. How he'll do on Yogi, we'll have to see. He's going first. And we get to meet our first player in this, Kevin of the Dundee Megabytes whose claim to fame is that he beat... uh, Well, Dave just says Mario in 1 hour 15. Now, I'm going to assume that's Mario World. Would you say that's a fair assumption? I don't know. Maybe. It could be Mario. It could be one of the others, because warp pipes. Well, yeah, I assumed it's Mario World, because you've got, like, the huge map and everything. So I went and had a look at the current world records for it, and the world record of just beating the game is 34 minutes, and it's 1 hour 21 for 96 exits. So that makes me think that it is probably Mario World. Regardless of which Mario it is, it's still a pretty impressive time. Yeah, absolutely it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and he plays pretty well uh, throughout this. He's fairly competent with the game. He knows what he's doing. And he gets 34 clocks at the end of it, which feels like it's a, a, a good score, not an unbeatable score, but it certainly feels like a very good score. And up next is Matthew of the Elite Three, who, by association, I want to fail. <laughs> Well, unfortunately for you, he actually does better and he gets 36. Uh, Very good control, actually, uh, in the early jumping section of this. He's got quite good control of old Yogi. The reason why I feel like Yogi sounds weird, but it's what Dave keeps calling him. Like Dave on commentary is like, he should like Yogi. He'll get on really well with Yogi. I should be saying just Yogi Bear, but because Dave kept saying Yogi, I feel like I need to shorten it as well. I mean, in the context of a video game, Yogi is probably going to mean Yogi Bear. There aren't many other Yogis you might find in a video game that I know of. I may be wrong. Internet, correct me. <laughs> I mean, we call him Sonic. We don't call him Sonic the Hedgehog the entire time. And we call him Mario. We don't call him Super Mario. Or Mario Mario. Or <laughs> Luigi Mario. Name. Mario. Last name. Mario. Okay, what's your name? Luigi. Luigi Luigi? No, Luigi Mario. But we still call Princess Toadstool Princess Toadstool. We don't just call her Toadstool. No. Or Peach Peach. We do, yeah, so we call Peach Peach, don't we? We don't often call her Princess Peach. I do. Yeah. Yeah, I've got respect for the uh, Toadstool <laughs> Kingdom royalty. <laughs> British royalty, fuck them. Toadstool royalty. Well, that's, that's a monarchy that matters. Is he any good? Well, Ahmed claims to be an expert ninja of the nth dimension, having clocked Zool on the Omega. And that's a platform game, so he should enjoy Yogi. Let's see how he does. Ahmed is up next, and apparently he's dead good at Zool. Um, so he should be fairly good uh, at this game as well. 
but I, I mean, he's the worst of the lot, unfortunately. Clocking in at 26. I was clocking in. Listen to me. I was about to say he clocks in at 26 clocks. I've got clocks on the brain at the moment. He gets 26 clocks. So, unfortunately, my boy, off the blocks here, my Reading console crew aren't doing great. I'm overjoyed because while they didn't get top space, the Dundees are still in it. But to find out the lay of the land, Dex, you cheeky monkey. What are the scores? RCC didn't do very well on the first challenge. They got zilch. Right, second position is the Bandy Megabytes. Did a bit better. They got two points. But out in front at the moment is the Elite Three with a Megamongus five points. Give them a cheer. I was going to say, your nemesis in all of this, the Elite Three, are running away with it with five points. That's going to guarantee them to get into the final round. Arseholes. A curse has stricken the village of Horohoro. Using the attack moves of Kid Ying and the brains of Dr. Yang, you must rescue the beloved princess and save the village in Legend of the Mystical Ninja for the SNES. Are you up to it? This is really, really smart. A mixture of 3D and 2D views. There's plenty to see, plenty to kick, and plenty to jump across. The bulk of the game is a cutesy beat-em-up platformer. But get involved and you'll soon discover the feast of sub-games available. Well, this one's got another one of those amazing storylines where you have to sort of rescue a ghost princess before the dragon beast unleashes its mighty flame on your homeland. Oh dear. Well, into the review zone we go, and we've got a lovely motley crew of Steve Merritt from Mean Machines, Andy Nuttall from Games Master Magazine, and former guest on this show, Paul Rose from Digitizer. Making a return and reviewing some very interesting games because this first game that comes up, Legend of the Mystical Ninja, ooh, this was a this was a tickling mm-hmm. of the memory fronds because I did not play this at the time, but I do remember it being all over Superplay. It looks like the sort of game that Superplay would have absolutely loved. And as soon as I saw this review, and as soon as I was done making my notes on this episode, I grabbed my old Chinese Yamaha G350 handheld, and I knew I had it on there in the SNES library, and I booted it up and I started playing it, and I just thought, oh, this is still fun. This is so much fun, because I'd played it before, back in the late 90s under emulation, and back again probably in the 2000s. But it is just so bright and colourful and very easy to pick up. And this game wasn't the last entry of this series, far from it. There were three direct sequels released for the SNES, the first sequel being released in 1993, and then the latter two sequels both being released in 1994. And then there were other games, like Nintendo 64 had a game. The games have been re-released as part of the Virtual Console. This game itself was ported to the Game Boy Advance along with the first sequel. Basically, if you like the look of this game here, there are plenty of ways that you can play it now or play its successors. And I recommend you do. It's a lot of fun and it's great as a co-op game. The uh, the N64 one um, is one that I actually know not fairly well, but when I was working at GameStation, we had it traded into us. And that game is actually it's as rare as Rocking Horse Poop at times to get hold of. In the GameStation store that I worked in, we had a glass cabinet that would have like unboxed Game Boy games and Game Boy Advance games and things like that. But it would also have all of the rare games that we had as well. Like you would put them there, they get like sealed back up, and you'd put them in there with a price sticker on it. And if fair, you know, it fetched a fair amount. I think it was upwards of a hundred odd quid. And and I, I kind of like I wanted to you know pick it up or at least borrow it for the the evening, but my boss would never let me because it was an it was an an item of value, so we it couldn't really leave the store. The game itself was immensely popular in Japan. Didn't do so well in America, but 
It does pretty well here in the reviews. Superplay liked it because this game really was playing to Superplay's strengths. And back in 2010, there's a book that I've seen but never owned called A Thousand and One Video Games You Must Play Before You Die. And it was one of the titles listed in there. Games Radar ranked it as the 45th best SNES game. I mean, yeah, they love it here. Um, you know, Steve calls it really smart with its 2D sections and its 3D environments, things like that. I, I like Biffo saying that, you know, you need to you need to get involved with this game. And there's a lot to get involved in. And, you know, Andy, like Andy's the only one who doesn't seem like massively impressed by it, but I don't think he's impressed by its story more than anything else. It just thinks that the story is a bit standard. Still, 81%, that's a high recommendation. I'd say if this game was released now, it would score higher because I think we are now more open to very Japanese-style games. If you look oh, at yeah. the things that have happened recently with Yakuza and Persona and such games like that, where it's not even a niche thing, it's gone mainstream. So, yeah, 81% for this game feels very respectable. And even if Andy isn't so keen on it, I don't think any of the three reviewers shit on it. No, no, absolutely not. They all hold it positively. And I would say that of all the games that we've had over the past couple of episodes, this is the one that I'm most keen to go and check out again. The first Alone in the Dark on the PC won eight awards for its amazing 3D graphics and gameplay. Now you can continue your film-like adventures in the imaginatively titled follow-up, Alone in the Dark 2. This is a really stunning game and I cannot recommend it enough. The graphics are nothing short of stunning, using a revolutionary 3D polygon technique. I played Alone in the Dark 1 a little, but I think Alone in the Dark 2 on my PC I'll spend a lot longer with. Dex puts over the awards of our next game very, very highly. This is a game that is kind of almost beloved in, in this review here because this is a 3D game. This is a 3D survival horror game. When survival horror meant survival horror, it's alone in the dark too, man. And a very quick turnaround because the first game only came out in 1992 and technically this game was released in 1993 and will continue to be ported other systems over the next few years there's versions for the sega saturn and the playstation although bizarrely that doesn't come out as alone in the dark 2 that comes out as alone in the dark jack is back it was also ported to my favorite mythological console that i still don't own the 3do i think the 3do conversion is really smart as well i wouldn't know i've never played it but i'll take your word for it but there were two versions released for the pc which is the version reviewed here there's a floppy disk version and a cd-rom version and while the floppy was the first in the original, the CD-ROM version was the one that added the full audio soundtrack, spoken dialogue in multiple languages, English, French, German and Japanese, depending on the country of release. That's pretty impressive that they didn't just go for a full cast audio, they went multiple languages. And a new playable section of the game that only existed on the CD version. Also, because CD burners weren't a thing in that time, it removed the copy protection that was inherent to the floppy disk version. The Saturn and PlayStation versions that didn't come out until 96 were a bit more interesting because they actually reworked the graphics. They added textures to the characters rather than just being flat polygons, which is mm. mainly what we're seeing at this point, even if you look at Star Wing or Stunt Racer FX. We're not seeing textures at this point. So they did take advantage of the technology that will become more mainstream over the next couple of years. But as you said, Dexter mentions the award merits of the first game and sets up Alone in the Dark 2, and the reviewers love it. 
the survival horror sit like genre which you know it's gonna like go do gangbuster numbers in a couple of years time because resident evil will hit the playstation Jill sandwich but like here you can see that there's been a huge shift like this is like the first of the 3d lot of survival horror games because previously like sweet home and stuff on the nes were 2d experiences now we're going into this 3d environment and remember alone in the dark was a very very big game for that but alone in the dark too as you talked about there is like it was a big big step up from the first alone in the dark and it's a very big precursor to what we will get with resident evil in a couple of years this and the first game are definitely i think what qualifies as groundbreaking yeah and it absolutely deserves the 90 percent that it gets here because to quote our friends in dream things can only get better and they weren't that bad to start with that's it i completely agree with what paul rose has to say here you know he calls this revolutionary and he's not wrong but speaking of revolutionary luke oh yeah Ooh, thigh rub time tonight we take a look at the game that could not street fighter 2 off its throne as king of the beat-em-ups virtual fighters taking the technology from the amazing virtual racing is the first fighting game to put you in a fully 3d environment so you can punch your opponent out of the ring fight back from the edge of the arena with eight different characters it's a bone-crunchingly realistic gameplay so can Ryo handle this kind of onslaught Virtual fighting is hitting the arcades across the country right now. Check out these moves. Yeah, it's in arcades across the country at the moment, but yet, like, we are entering into a 3D age. It feels like we're really in the midst of Sega's Mega Drive and Nintendo Super Nintendo. It doesn't make you feel like we're that far removed from the Nintendo Super Nintendo coming out. And yet here we are, like, the 3D age is upon us. And this is what games are moving towards. And, you know, everyone's really enjoying Mortal Kombat. They're really enjoying Street Fighter 2 and some of the SNK stuff. But holy shit, this is a 3D fighter. And like the whole thing, there's 3D environments. There's ring outs. There's all of this stuff that they're really putting over. It's it's kind of, it's, it's fascinating to look back on. Now, I think we've covered this before, but I'm actually pretty shit at Virtua Fighter. I'm not very good at it at all. I'm rubbish at the game. And I'll be honest, I don't think it's that good. I think it's too floaty a game. I am, however, very appreciative of people who are good at it. And I very much understand the very big role it has to play in history because without Virtua Fighter, would we have got Tekken? Mm-hmm. Would Dead we have alive. got Dead or Alive, Soul Calibur, all, all those games games which actually i'm much better at than virtua fighter but the strange thing is at this time because they're showing this off they're showing 3d games and virtua fighter sticks around not only this original game but remixes virtua fighter 2 3 4 kids virtua fighter kids (laughs) that will come back to haunt us down the line but there was so much talk at this time that 2d fighters are dead and for a while everything was done to try and wedge 2d fighters into the 3d world Mortal Kombat went there, Street Fighter EX went there by the time we get to the PlayStation, and I'm really glad they were wrong. Yeah, I mean, it, it's fascinating to see because, like, you know, the, the Saturn in particular holds 2D fighters really well. Like, the Saturn conversion of X-Men versus Street Fighter, for me, is the best version of that game. But the PlayStation and everything else was like, no, 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 3D fighters are the future. It, it is tech and it is dead or alive it's street fighter ex and i'm glad that they were wrong that you know the 2d fighters did hold up a lot and i think actually the 2d fighters from this area have aged much more gracefully than some of the early 
3D fighters like Virtua Fighter and perhaps even, you know, the, the first Tekken. Because I think they've kind of refined it so much more with Tekken 2. I mean, just to skip back briefly to Virtua Fighter, because we will be covering Virtua Fighter more in the future because it's going to appear in various guises as we go on. One thing I find interesting is this appears on a platform called the Sega Model 1. Now, at this time, news has broken that Nintendo are working with Silicon Graphics on the Nintendo 64. Meanwhile, Sega have this Model 1 platform that was developed by Sega jointly with Lockheed Martin, Mm. who are an aerospace technology company. So they're taking technology that I imagine has ties to the flight simulator world and training platforms, and they're using it for punchy racy games. Yeah. But it does show that this, plus the deal that Nintendo have going on with Silicon Graphics, and then we look at what Sony are around the corner with. Video games is becoming a big deal in industry. It's not just a niche product or something that gives you square eyes. The fact that big technology companies are getting so invested in this, it's going to make for a wild and crazy time. Well, we mentioned this in, I think it was last week's episode with the CES coverage and how like the CES was becoming like games at CES weren't a novelty anymore they were actually actually they were taking over the show which is why they go off and do e3 instead ces was this place where it was karaoke machines and it was tvs and camcorders and then you know eventually mini disc players and walkmans and this that and the other but then all of a sudden sega and nintendo show up and they've now got the big boots and they're the ones that's pushing whatever their latest technology and their latest games are the fact that they're moving away from ces and starting their own just purely gaming convention and what you were talking about there with Silicon Graphics and Lockheed, it's, yeah, we're moving into a very, very interesting age where it is not just something for nerds. It's not just something for kids now. This is something that's you know being taken very seriously. Now, at the time of recording, I'm still waiting to have access to this, but I will soon have the ability to play Virtua Fighter on its original home release hardware. And I'm hoping that maybe, with all the years and experience under my belt, maybe... I will get on with the game this time. <laughs> I hope so, because I really want to like this game. It's like flight simulators, like we've talked in the past. Ironic, given the involvement of Lockheed. But I want to like this game and I want to get on with it. So hopefully by the time it comes around in challenges, I'll be able to go, ah, completed it, mate. <laughs> now we want to get on with the second challenge. So that's exactly what we're going to do. Oi, Games Master! For my next challenge... I've selected the high-powered racing game Lotus Turbo 2 for the Sega Mega Drive. The winner of this challenge will be the contestant who collects the most points by driving his car the greatest distance along the slippery ice track. Especially skilled racers will receive a massive 100,000-point bonus for making it to the checkpoint marked by a large orange banner. As usual... Five points will be awarded to the highest score, two to the runners-up, and nothing to the losers. Burn it up, boys. It's an interesting one, isn't it? Because you're collecting the most points on Lotus Turbo 2 by driving the furthest within the 45 seconds. And, you know, they point out that if you pass a certain checkpoint, you get a 100,000-point uh, bonus. So you have got 45 seconds to get to the furthest distance. We get something like this in next week's show as well, which is kind of like you're doing a race... But we haven't got time to do the full race because 
we've got four challenges to fit in this show, potentially five if, if two of you tie. So it's trying to find a way to fudge a time challenge into a racing game that is longer than 45 seconds. I did actually kind of like the, the way the challenge, it felt very different to first past the post type challenges and also which, you know, you might be able to do quickest time available, but I, yeah, I, I kind of dug the way they, they spec this challenge out. It made for a slightly different racing challenge, which after three seasons of Games Master, it's nice to see they're finding different ways to approach a fairly one dimensional genre. I mean, realistically, you've got straight racing, or Mario Kart. That's it at the moment. That's pretty much it. And like, I've, one of the things I've kind of found very interesting about the team championships, because they've got this very tight, you've got 45 seconds per contestant per challenge. We aren't in the Series 1 and Series 2 things where it's like, well, okay, you've got 90 seconds to do this challenge. When you can like open up, you've got 90 seconds to do this challenge. You've got a load of games that you can pick. When you've got 45 seconds, there's actually a handful that you could pick from to do a whole thing. So you've got to find a creative way around this. I kind of appreciate that's what they've done here, which is, you know, you play this game, and it's like, oh, it actually collects points as the further you drive. Cool, that's the challenge then. You give them 45 seconds, most points out of 45 seconds. Now, this game was originally an Amiga game and was then ported to other platforms. In addition to, obviously, the Mega Drive, there was the Amiga, there was the Atari ST version. And on the Amiga and Atari ST versions, you could actually connect multiple computers together via the serial port and race head-to-head mm. if you had two Amigas, two Ataris, and two televisions. Or you lived next door to someone that had another Amiga and you got a really long <laughs> serial cable. That would actually be pretty cool yeah. if you could have a serial cable stretched between respective bedrooms, like a little LAN party. But the other thing that we do need to note about this is that this is an ice level. And it's slippery out there, Ash. As you said at the top of this show, it's snowing, which is something that Dex finds very surprising. Hey, I can't argue with him. I still get that reaction if I open the curtains in the morning and it's snow. It's like, it's snowing. I'll say it to myself. There could be no one else around. I'll be very excited by snow. I'm with Dex on this. Luke, it's snowing. So, Earth ends up first of RCC. Dave... Tell us a bit about Earthen. Well, Earthen's a real Mario Kart expert, so he should be used to controlling the car as it slides around the corner because we've got a particularly slippy track for him. Well, my boy Earthen is up first from the Reading console crew. Dave tells us that he's a Mario Kart expert, so he should be used to slippery cars, but he does have a bit of trouble getting off of the start. It feels like he is struggling to keep the car steady on the slippery tracks. However... He is the better player we've got here. 221,000 points, 990. I, I really like something that Dave pointed out in the commentary for this, though, which I found quite interesting about the game, is that you can't crash the cars because Lotus didn't want to show a Lotus car being flipped. So you can't crash on this game. No, because apparently Lotus don't think that Lotus cars can crash. I think that's very wrong. And I think there's various health and safety tests that have proven that that is very wrong. I love that some executive must have decided that. Well, like, you know, they saw a bit of the game and they show the animation of it crashing and stuff. They're like, whoa, 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 whoa. Well, they don't, we can't show them crashing. We're, we're making this game to sell Lotus cars. Surely we can't show them being a crash. Maybe they just assume that no one that's got enough money to buy a Lotus will actually drive it. Therefore, technically, 
it can't crash. <laughs> you can't crash what you don't drive, Luke. So 221,990 is the score to beat. Ewan of the Megabytes is up next, and he struggles off the start. Like, he struggles to get past all the cars. Like, he is a, doing a lot of banging and stuff, and that really slows him down. And when Irfan had nearly 222,000 points, this lad cannot even break the 100,000 mark. He gets just over 90,000 points in this. It, it's a long, long way from Irfan's score. And my heart sank a bit because, you know, the Dundees, they're my boys. Next up is Ashton. He's the last one to take part in this challenge. Dave, is he a good driver or what? Well, Ashton, we don't know a lot about him. He's a bit of a mystery man. But in the practice room, he's clocking up some very good scores. Which means Ashton of the Elite Three is up next who we're hoping to see is on a bit of a redemption story here. And he's actually a mystery man by all accounts. But uh, he was clocking in good scores on practice. So did this performance uh, warm you more towards him? No, I still think he's a prick. <laughs> and he is quicker than Ewan of the Megabytes. He gets 106,720. So it's not massively more than what Ewan got. But, you know, like Ewan, he didn't pass the checkpoint either. I, I will say, I don't like Ashton here. I don't like Ashton in this episode. You may have gathered. However, Ashton, if you're listening, no hard feelings. I'm sure you're a lovely guy now, but you acted like a bit of a douchebag in this episode. Just saying, wanting to make kids cry? That's not nice. That's the sort of behaviour normally reserved for people in Easter Bunny costumes and clowns. <laughs> Are you a clown? Probably not. Well, let's see how that has affected the scoreboards, because I've got a feeling it's good news for my Reading console crew. What are the scores, Dex? Well, the Megabytes didn't do so well on that second challenge. They got zero points. Added to their two from the first challenge, that means they got two overall. Then the Elite Three, well, they came second in the last challenge, but they came first in the first challenge, means they got seven overall. But RCC ran away with that last challenge. They got five points there, but none in the first one. That means they got five overall. So out in front at the moment is the Elite Three with seven points. So I'm now with the Reading console crew. I'm backing this with you because I want the Elite Three to lose. Yeah, the Reading console crew getting first place in that last challenge means that they've got the five points that they needed in order to advance through to the finals. Poor Dundee Megabytes here uh, coming second in the first round, last in the second challenge means that they're the ones that are on their way home. But, you know, they're nice and sportsman about it being like the, you know, the better man won on the day. But you see what that is, Luke? That's sportsmanship. It is. It is nice sportsmanship. Doesn't matter, though. They still get ejected. <laughs> We've still got an almighty clash to come in the second part. These two teams are still battling out for their place in the semi-final. And if that's not enough, yeah, we've got a very special celebrity challenge. So don't go too far. Only as far as the kitchen. We'll be back in a couple of minutes. The Mail on Sunday is giving away the new series of Delia Smith recipe cards, free for 10 weeks, with the new You magazine. Life is full of awesome what ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. 
Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Have a break. Millions of Kit Kats with this special wrapper win you a free Burger King burger instantly or let you buy one and get one free. Have a bigger break. Have a Kit Kat. Now you can reduce the appearance of wrinkles in just two weeks and discover smoother, younger-looking skin. Created by Laboratoire Garnier Paris, new wrinkle lift from Synergy. Extracted from sunflowers, natural hydroxyceramides are concentrated in a light daily cream. Tests prove that after just two weeks, the appearance of wrinkles is reduced. New Wrinkle Lift from Synergy, formulated and controlled by Laboratoire Garnier Paris. It's time for our celebrity challenge. Okay, please give a big warm welcome and a big Games Master chair for the UK snooker champion, Ronnie O'Sullivan, no less. Well, I don't really play computers, but I've had a quick bash on a computer before I come here, so I've got a rough idea. Coming back from the ad break, and we have got uh, Ronnie O'Sullivan as this week's celebrity challenge. This is quite a fun little one to have Ronnie on the show. Absolutely. And also, man, he was young at this point. He was 19 years old. Only night bloody hell. I mean, I was going to assume that he was young because he's still playing snooker today, like at championship level. So I assumed he was young. 19. He does look young. He was born 5th of December, 1975. So yeah, 19 years old. Crikey. But he was a proper snooker prodigy from a very young age. He made his first century break at a competitive level when he was 10. He won the under 16s at 13. He achieved his first maximum break at 15 and won the under 21 snooker championship before turning professional at age 16, won his first ranked title at age 17 and held it for 358 days, making him the youngest player ever to win a professional ranking event. This is a record he still holds almost 30 years later. That is impressive. He's a bloody overachiever. (laughs) And as you pointed out, he's still going today and he's noted for the fact that he's still around here in 2021. I was going to say, I listened to um, Ellison John on Five Live and John Robbins is a big snooker fan and he loves Ronnie O'Sullivan. So anytime Ronnie's on like doing something in the snooker, I know about it because John Robbins brings it up. And so I knew that like that Ronnie was on TV like very, very recently in the last couple of weeks. But he's a West Midlands lad. That's where he was born. And interesting fact about his parents, they weren't snooker players. They ran a series of sex shops in the Soho area of London. Did they really? I mean, there's something there to do with balls, but we'll (laughs) we'll leave it at that. He was brought up in Essex, a place he still lives. But while his parents weren't players, he is the first cousin 
of snooker player Maria Catalano, who has been ranked number one in the women's game. There's something in the O'Sullivan blood, it would seem. Thankfully, one thing that didn't get passed down in the O'Sullivan bloods was to do with prison sentences. His father was sentenced to life in prison for murder, and his mother was sentenced to a year for tax evasion, and that left young O'Sullivan in 1996, so only 20 to 21 years old, to look after his eight-year-old sister. Bloody hell. And whilst he is a prodigy, he is also incredibly hard on himself, incredibly self-critical, striving for perfectionism, and he struggled with mental health issues as a result. And whilst things like that never truly leave you, he does have help, he is doing better, and yeah, he's still out there, still running around in the game, and you are very rarely ever going to see a boring snooker match when Ronnie O'Sullivan's at the table. All right, then, so do you want to pick out someone maybe to uh, take on a challenge against you? You'd like to do a challenge against This lady here? This lady here, yeah. Jump up, here we go. Good, we got it. Don't give So, have you got a computer, Carla? Yeah. Yeah, what kind of computer you got? Uh, Mega Drive and Mega CD. Oh, pretty flash. So, you're going to give Ronnie a good challenge? Yeah. So, Carla has been picked out of the crowd to be Ronnie O'Sullivan's challenger for this. And my favourite bit about this is that, like, you know, that she's going through, like, the list of consoles that she's got. She goes, oh, yeah, I've got a Mega Drive and I've got a Mega CD. And the mere mention of her having a Mega CD elicits an ooh from the crowd. <laughs> it's like, oh, fancy pants with her Mega CD. I, it's so weird, but yeah, I can see the Mega CD eliciting that sort of response. But then again, I'm kind of looking at where we are and like, how close is the Saturn? You know, how well, yeah. close is is this? It's like kind of that next step. It's so this time in gaming is a lot more crowded than I remember it being. Yeah, like it's funny. Like Sonic the Comic, the podcast recently had like the Saturn is only just featured in Sonic the Comic, and it feels like it is you know way past like Sonic and Knuckles is out. Uh, by the time that Sonic the comic officially starts to talk about the Saturn. And I kind of agree with what they were saying there is that, yeah, while the Saturn is like on its way, the PlayStation is out by the end of this year. In my head, early 1994, I am still, it is the Mega Drive, it is the SNES. The Mega CD feels like the newest thing. And yeah, like, I mean, I'll be honest, when she said I had a Mega CD, I had the reaction of, ooh, because it's, it feels so new and fancy. And I suppose, it, I mean, it was, even though the Mega CD had been out like a year and change, two years, mm-hmm. it's not the newest kid on the block, but it also never really, I guess, lands. Oh, God, no. No, I go back to what Dave Perry said in a, I can't remember, it was a few episodes ago now, but I think it was when he was reviewing Lethal Enforcers, and he essentially said, like, you know, there's some good games for the Mega CD, but for every good game, there's 10 CAC ones. I, 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 totally buy with, I totally agree with what Dave had to say about it. And speaking of Dave Perry, as soon as a girl got picked out of the crowd, I've written in my notes here, oh dear, a girl has got picked and Dave Perry's on commentary. I hope we don't drop another clanger. Well, my note said, after she revealed that she owns a Mega Drive and a Mega CD, is just to remind you, Luke, that as we've been told, girls don't play games and are rubbish <laughs> at them. I know, right? Well, maybe she'll be rubbish at this next game we're playing. What are we playing, Games Master? What better than to have our snooker champion celebrity and his opponent compete on side pocket for the Super Nintendo? Each contestant has five shots to clock up the highest score, 100 points being awarded for each ball potted. 
the player with the most points will take home my precious golden joystick. Disappointing for Carla, she owns a Mega Drive and a Mega CD, but we're playing Side Pocket on the snares. Ah, gutted. Yeah, it's a Data East Arcade conversion, and and she might she might have played it because there was a Mega Drive port. This got ported to a couple of different systems. Uh, it got the Game Boy release as well and the Super Nintendo. And hey, if maybe she has a Game Gear and she just forgot to mention that, she might have been able to play it on there as well. But, you know, what we're seeing here is the enhanced version of the original. It's got revamped graphics. It's got a smooth jazz soundtrack, new sound effects, backgrounds. And both the Mega Drive and the SNES version were similar in their revamping. Although, not that I wish to start a format war between us, the SNES version did have a better soundtrack and better graphics. I mean, that's not uncommon, is it? If you would have said to me, what is the least surprising thing you could say about the differences, I'd be that the SNES has a better soundtrack because that is true of pretty much every SNES versus Mega Drive game, with the exception of maybe Aladdin. But I, yeah, like it, it, I, I think the SNES is always bound to have the better soundtrack. I mean, I thought I was making a controversial statement. Luke, we're going to get letters. <laughs> I mean, I don't think it's that controversial a statement to say that the SNES had better sound than the Mega Drive did. I have, as recently as the past two months, seen near flame wars on discords about comparing SNES versus Mega Drive soundtracks. And I will hold my hand up that, you know, I have my preferred sound. I think part of it is, is because there is a real sense of nostalgia attached to that Mega Drive sound chip. And if you look at some of those bootleg Sonic remakes that have been made for the SNES, the soundtrack sounds great on them, but it doesn't sound quite as good. Like, you know, there yeah. is an edge. Or Streets of Rage. Streets oh, yeah. of Rage is a perfect example. I mean, I've got that soundtrack on vinyl. That's weird. Yeah, same here. But it's also great. Yeah, it depends on what you're after, I guess, in a way. Like, if you want a chunky soundtrack, like the Skitchin soundtrack. Skitchin! Sounds perfect on a Mega Drive because it's got that chunky guitar, like, sound to it. But if you want something that feels, I don't know, a bit more sort of like epic in scope and scale, then I would probably want it to be done on the SNES. Also, I just want to applaud you for finding a way to bring <laughs> Skitchin into this conversation. It was the first game that popped in my head. If you ask me, like, if, you know, name name a soundtrack that is perfect for the Mega Drive. I'm going to think of Skitchin because it is like that chunky... Ironically, though, Rock and Roll Racing sounds fucking garbage on the Mega Drive. <laughs> it sounds way better on the snares. 
Oddly, part of me does think that maybe rock and roll racing could have sounded a lot better on the Mega Drive if the same person who was responsible for the SNES soundtrack was responsible for the Mega Drive, but they weren't. It was essentially uh, handed off to Mm. be converted over. So much as if you take a soundtrack designed for the Mega Drive and try and shove it onto the SNES, it doesn't work so well. Vice versa, yeah. The opposite is also true. Anyway, we've managed to get Skitchin and Rock and Roll Racing in, but we're not here to talk about those. We're here to talk... I forgot the name of the game. We're here... (laughs) We're here to talk about the highly memorable side pocket (laughs) revamped on the SNES. The razor weird, the game's boss for there. Letting us know that the game is side pocket. Okay, Carla's up first. Dave, do you want to tell us a bit about this challenge? Well, Ronnie's nerves have already shown because the researchers caught him putting chalk all over his joypad. It was very, very messy. I don't think the golden joystick's going on his trophy shelf. This is going to be Carla's challenge. Yeah, I like Dave's comment, though, about the fact that he saw Ronnie O'Sullivan chalking up his controller before he started. Like, you know, Dave is on the side of Carla here because she is the gamer compared to our Ronnie. And yeah, pretty much like, you know, she's pretty good at this. She, you know, she lands a pretty wicked trick shot uh, on the purple. She scores 400 in the end, which feels like a a fairly decent score. It is, you know, snooker challenges, as we've seen in the past on Games Master, aren't exactly the most thrilling of, of, of things. And this kind of like falls into that same category, really. I would say this is actually probably one of the better ones we've had. The most points in a time. And yeah, I it, there was an air of tension because also you really don't want that ball to be poinging all over the place, bouncing off all the cushions. You need it to slow to a stop pretty quickly so you can line up and take another shot. So I think this one has aged slightly better. Also, do you know what else makes this age slightly better, Luke? What's that? It doesn't have that noise. It's very true. That noise is not present here. I agree with you. Like I think this is the best of the snooker challenges, but I don't think it makes it a, a great challenge, though. It's fair to say you're going to put that noise in, aren't you? Oh, yeah. yeah. I'd hate to think our audience didn't get the sound of someone frotting a balloon. But Carla has set the pace. Ronnie is up next. Dave says it can be beaten, but it's whether his nerve holds. He manages to pot one off the break. He gets one off the second. And while he does sink off the third shot, it's the white. Mm -hmm. Oops. He messes the next shot and the next. And that's it. His nerve doesn't hold. He gets 200 points. Luke, do you know what this means? What does that mean? It means Carla wins and the Dave Perry curse is broken. Yeah, like it was a a pretty like tense end because he had to pot the blue in order to tie. And that's the shot that he misses. There was some level of tension within that. Yeah, it was, you know, the best snooker challenge we have had thus far. I kind of enjoyed it because whilst we have seen more technically advanced snooker games, hello, Archer McLean, Mm. I really like the aesthetic and feel of this game. Do you remember going way back, oh, to the early to mid 2000s, Yahoo Pool? Oh, yeah. I used to love playing Yahoo Pool online against friends. That was great. That was where dial-up still worked for that sort of thing. That's what this reminds me of. It takes me back to a happy time with an arcade pool game. It was great fun. Did you have fun there? 
Did you think you were going to win? Yeah. Yeah? You did. You knew you were yeah. going to win, did you? Yeah. So, Ronnie, what do you reckon to her performance? Quite good? Oh, oh she, was, she was wonderful. She was? She played brilliant. She did? So, what do you think her chances are of becoming snooker champion? Well, she's as good as out on a snooker table. She's on the computer. She's got yeah. very good chances. <laughs> Mate, it's bullshit, but it's lovely bullshit. Yeah. And while I wasn't too impressed with Ronnie on the mic earlier, this was a nice moment. He's so young in his career, though, that I can't hold it against him. He's as young if not younger than some of the competitors that have been completely stunned in front of a microphone. Because as we pointed out, he's what, 19? Yeah, I was going to say, you know, we've talked about like some of the celebrities that we've had on here have come on and they're like already formed. Like Danny Bear that we had earlier in series three comes on like, you know, she is very, very young, but she is an already fully formed celebrity and is very good at these sort of celebrity style appearances. Diamondism. <laughs> Ronnie is not. <laughs> like Ronnie is not a fully formed celeb at this point he is not like you know just throw him out there and he'll be you know comfortable as anything but like the line of you know it's if she's as good on the table as she is on the computer she could be a world champion is a pretty good line like for someone who is clearly not that hugely comfortable in the position that he's in i was like i was, I was pretty impressed with him i like it when the celebrity bigs up the kid I mean, we've had a couple of interesting celebrity challenges recently. We've had the celebrity giving the joystick, even though they won, which I appreciated as a gesture. It still felt a little odd, but it was what it was. But no, I, I like this. May not be the most exciting challenge, but it was a satisfying. But we've seen in the second half of series three that the celebrity challenges have just sort of been there. Like there's not really a huge amount to, to say about them. Um, they sort of like almost feel like they're getting in the way of the team championship stuff. Like apart from the FIFA tournament, or, you know, like the game's mistress or something, a lot of them are quite unremarkable. Yeah, I don't think that's the show's fault either. I don't know what to place it on, but definitely the season two celebrity challenges felt a lot more exciting and a lot more interesting. And even the early season three, I wonder if it's because the one thing we've had a lot less of is the gimmick challenges. We've yeah. had whack-a-mole, but we don't have as many American laser games or, you know, super atomic punch blast man, Gary Mason yeah, kind of exactly. stuff. Because they don't have the physical space for it. All the time. All the time. But I think the only reason we got whack-a-mole is it's quite a small machine. Yeah, plus that was in the first half of Series 3 as well, when there was a little bit more space. Like, you couldn't have done that in the second half. But like, I think the time constraints is another side of this, where you've got like, you know, you look back to the the Vic Reeves chance that we had back in series two, and you had Vic Reeves make his entrance, and you got that banter between Vic Reeves and Dominic Diamond, you got the plugs for Red Nose Day and Comic Relief, and, and you know, they basically had a time for a bit of a chat. Because you are so constrained by time, because you've got to squeeze in four challenges, or in some case, five, it is literally, come out, what's your name, pick a person, play the challenge, did you win? No, off you pop. Like, it has got to be, like, as quickly as you come in, we've got to get you back out again. So the people who are doing it don't really get a chance to get themselves over. So, like I said at the start of this, like, it feels like the, the summit challenges are more just there in the second half as opposed to being an impactful part of the show like they were in Series 2. Welcome, one and all, to my games-playing treasury. Games Master, when I'm playing the adventures of Super Dr. Franken on the snares, I keep dying. I do have a little something to help you. While you're standing at the very start of the level, press down and left, and you'll fall, travelling through the wall below you and into a secret chamber. Walk left, and you'll hear a strange noise. 
This signifies that you've just picked up an extra life. Now, you might be able to make it just that little bit further. Thanks. It, it's i, I kind of like some of these ones in the consultation zone where it's less like a cheat or a hint it's literally just like there's a bonus area over here and you can get yourself an extra life but i think something like that is that's actually quite nice especially because it's one of those things where being shown on screen where that area is is infinitely better than trying to pass it from screenshots in a magazine yeah exactly on a playground you can go to someone, hey, do you know this code for that Konami game? Up, up, down, down, so on and so forth. As opposed to going, hey, do you know there's a secret area on Super Dr. Franken? Well, if you go to this bit, it looks a bit... Yeah, it doesn't work. Yeah. It, this isn't a hint that you can easily pass on verbally or even necessarily in the printed form. So it's tips like this that I think is where Games Master can really excel and offer something worthwhile. I mean, I can say from sort of personal experience, I remember when I was playing Sonic Mania and, you know, you play it through at once and then you play it through again and you're trying to find, like, all the, the hidden rings and stuff, right, to get all the bonus stages. And my first instinct was to just sort of, like, look up where they are. And, like, reading people explain to you, like, where they are is actually... It, it doesn't translate that well to when you play on screen. However, if I were onto YouTube, Sonic Mania, all the rings... You can then literally just watch people do it. And that is infinitely easier to do and easier to understand and easier to translate into your own gaming than to read someone go like, if you walk to your right, you'll see this. Jump up onto the thing. Then you need to, like, it's, yeah, it's much easier to watch someone do it, which is why I really like these in the consultation zone. I've been playing Desert Strike on a Master System, but I can't manage to get to the second mission. I don't know what to do. Try this. At the start of the second mission, fly to a point just east of the POW camp. There you will find Jake, who has the fastest winch action and the best accuracy of all the co-pilots in the game. And I'll be honest, this second one is again in a similar vein. Also, today I found out Desert Strike existed for the Master System. Yeah, same here. I was really surprised to see it. It doesn't look great, but I'm impressed they managed to do it on the Master System regardless. But the second kid, he just can't get to the second mission. And so the Games Master gives another hint that is definitely better shown than just described in text. Yeah, that's so much nicer to see and kind of like have that explained to you and then it just being written down. Like also, like, I don't know if you would write that down in a magazine. Like, would that have featured in Games Master magazine in their consultation zone? It just it seems to make more sense to be on TV than it is in print. On the cosmic space head for the Mega Drive, I can't get past the electric door on the Formica City level. Can you help me, please? First of all, you must collect the Formica City telekey, which gives you access to the teleports. Teleport from Old Lino Town to Formica, and you will find that when you exit the teleport, you now have two cosmics. Place one on the button, deactivating the electrified door, then take the other cosmic through and stand him on the button the other side of the door. You can then take the first cosmic off the button without reactivating the electrified door and walk him through to safety. <laughs> what could be simpler? Thanks a million, Games Master. And on hints that are better shown than described or printed, <laughs> three for three, old friend of the show, although we didn't technically see this game, we saw a mini game from it, it's Cosmic Spacehead, 
This kid can't get past the electric door on the Formica City level, and so we get quite a run about the houses here on how to get past this, but also pure point-and-click game type logic. This is this is LucasArts style. Yeah, isn't it? That's exactly what I wrote in my notes here. This feels like LucasArts, and I really, really enjoyed this. What I kind of found wild about this is that this, you know, we saw Cosmic Spacehead earlier in Series 3, right, as a challenge. That game does not look like this game, and this game does not look like that game. And I, and I love that. And I think that's a really interesting dynamic as to, you know, what we got as a challenge, but what you actually get within the consultation zone for the game. Yeah, I was a big, big fan of this. Because I remember when we covered that challenge, I was very confused when I first read the description of Cosmic Spacehead. Now, sometimes you get games that do have similar titles or different titles in different regions. And in the case of Cosmic Spacehead, the challenge was a mini game. Mm, where you're throwing custard pies at the other yeah, person. Yeah, which is the one that... sounds like fairly LucasArts. Yeah, and it was also the challenge, I think, where we've most differed on our opinions mm-hmm. of it. But it bears no resemblance to this, but this game does look a lot of fun to play. Yeah. I like this style of not logical thinking, it's illogical. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That challenge didn't make me want to play Cosmic Spacehead. This consultation zone did. Like this one's make this makes me want to like bust open an emulator and, and give it a whirl. Also, I just want to say how much I love the fact there's a city called Formica City. <laughs> yeah. Right, we've got one challenge left, and we've got two teams left. We only need one, so uh, Earthan, Earthan, Earthan. What do you reckon these, this, this team's chances are? Effect, they're nothing. <laughs> they're nothing? You ain't got a chance? What do you, what do you say to that? Almost no action. Oh, these lot, yeah? What do you think of their performance so far? Mm, just scraped in on the last challenge. They it? just scraped in on the last just challenge. Just scraped in, I'll beat your team by 100,000 points. <laughs> well, there you go, 100,000 point challenge, right! Now, usually at this point here, I would just jump into like, what are we playing games, Master? And we kind of skip over the banter because usually, like, they don't really have a lot to say. It's usually Dexter being like, oh, mate, are you, you're going to be good, you're going to win. And they go, yeah. Oh, yeah, he said he's going to win. What are you going to say? Yeah, I'm probably going to win. Like, it's usually that. But in this one, we've actually got like some banter between these two, particularly from Erfan of the RCC, who's like, you're pathetic. It's all mouth, no action. And then they're like, oh, mate, you only just scraped through the last challenge. Scrape through. I beat you by 100,000 points, mate. Like, it's real. Like, like, it's nonsense arguing, but it's arguing at the very least. The biggest mistake the Elite Three made was going, oh, you just scraped in that last challenge when categorically... No. They did not. <laughs> no, they did that's, not. That's 100% horse do. That's yeah. just, just like, it's complete boulder dash. Let's settle these tensions on the actual game itself. What are we playing, Games Master? Yo, dudes. My final challenge is on the Funky Street basketball game, Janet for the Sega Mega Drive. The first of our contestants to score five baskets by any means will be tonight's winners. Get slam Duncan. Yo, dudes! <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's more how do you do fellow kids action from games master here as we're playing jam it there are many things that can be said about patrick moore some of them favorable some of them not but you can't deny the dude was definitely game for a laugh oh absolutely yeah and like some of the action that we see here on jam it does feel like games designers being a bit how do you do fellow kids but I've not actually heard of this game previously. It's like a one-on-one basketball game. It kind of feels a little bit like um, Barkley Shut Up and Jam, which was you know built on the NBA Jam um, engine. 
But this is like one-on-one style instead of two-on-two. Yeah, there's definitely elements of the NBA Jam and Arch Rivals as well. Basically, the fact you can beat the shit out of your opponent and not really get penalized in any way, shape or form. But this came out for a number of platforms. We're seeing the Mega Drive version here. There was also a PCMS DOS version, a SNES version, and hey, the Panasonic 3DO. Unfortunately, while it did exist for the 3DO, you'd hope that that might mean it gets some significant upgrades in the graphics or sound department. I'm going to wager this was basically just a straight conversion. Pretty much. It was a straight conversion. And whilst the game looks fun enough here, it didn't really set the world alight. The movement was criticised. The controls were sluggish. It doesn't look terrible here, but it certainly doesn't look as much fun as, say, NBA Jam. Yeah. But the challenge itself is the first contestant to score five baskets by any means necessary. Any means necessary, eh? I mean, I suppose decapitation and dunking the head might still count. That would be an enhancement for the 3DO version. So this game, because it is a one-on-one thing and, you know, one player starts with the ball and the other one defends and then they switch roles, right? So really the advantage on this game, particularly because it is the first of five, is the person that is going to go first, which is Liam, right? He was playing as Slade. And what you're looking for if you're on the defensive side is to make sure that you block that shot so you can get the, you can then essentially get the advantage and, and get the upper hand. And that does actually happen through this. And this is a pretty decent little challenge at the by the end of things. But I, I think that like Liam is way better at this game than Tanil of the Reading console crew. Yeah, I found this challenge depressing because I really didn't want the Elite 3 to win. Well, yeah, I mean, obviously my boys, the Reading console crew, I was really pulling them to win. But I'll be honest, once Liam started on this game, I was like, oh man, I don't think that Tanil's got a chance here. I think Liam is definitely the better player at this. I mean, there is a point where they draw equal and he makes it 2-2, but then it's 3-2, then he loses possession again, it's 4-2, and my note at that point just said bollocks. Yeah. Oh yeah, there was no chance he was coming back from that, unfortunately, because I don't think he was particularly good at the defensive style of things, whereas Liam could do both sides of it, he could do the attack and the defense. Um, So yeah, like it was effectively one-sided for the Elite 3 in this. And while Chewing does make it up to 3 with a 3-pointer that was quite Mm. nice... Ah, Slade has a clear run at the basket. It's 5-3. And at least they shook hands. At least there was a little bit of sportsmanship there, which is immediately ruined in the post-match. RCC, mm, not so impressive. What went wrong? Well, he's better, better at the game than me, wasn't he? He's better at the game than you. What do you think of that? Was it luck? We're through there, not. Hey, you're, they're through. You're not. End of story. All right, lads. Wankers, Luke. Yeah, it's a real poor show by the end of it. Like, I know you've been kind of against the Elite Three throughout this entire thing, but like, I feel that we get a lot of teams that are like this, where they're quite boisterous in like the, we're the best, they're rubbish, this, that, and the other. But it is all just sort of for the sake of, you know, banter. But by the end of the show, they are like, you know, they played well, but we were just the better team on the day. The Elite Three are one of the, the rare examples that we've seen in the team championships where they have been boisterous at the start, and then kept that through right till the end with the we're through, you're not, which I do think is incredibly poor sportsmanship. I mean, they started by saying we're going to make that team cry. That's a slippery slope. There was like you know, some fun banter. I'm using air bunny Bucky O'Hare is for like there's some fun banter about that, particularly if you redeem yourself by the end to be like the, you know, like oh, they were the better team at the end, you know, and it is like actually a quite friendly thing. But unfortunately, like them doing this we're through and you're not makes the earlier comments feel so much more worse. 
I mean, I know we've always said we don't punch down when it comes to the kids. There's something about this team that just rubs me up the wrong way. Maybe it reminds me of people that I knew when I was a teenager at school, some of that kind of banter to use the Bucky mm-hmm. O'Hare is. But when they just keep taking it and they take it too far and it kind of gets to a level of arrogance slash bullying. Yeah, it's the it's the Akbars of, of, of the Games Master world. On the off chance any of the Elite Three hear this, I'm sure you guys are lovely now. And that's fine. Also, I'm aware editing and direction that may be given by the production crew could play a role. But guys, you do not come off well in this show. And I will be rooting for you to lose at the next stage. Right. Well, next week, we've got Macho Man Randy Savage battling out on a challenge. Should be quite interesting. We've also got the final results of our Room of the Future competition. So if you know anything about that, keep watching. Okay, we'll see you in a week's time for more battling action on Games Master. Say bye. I was going to say, yeah, the Elite Three are through to the semi-finals of this show, which will be coming up in just a couple of episodes' time because next week is our last heat for the team championships before we get into the semis. Not only that, but Macho Man Randy Savage is going to be on the show. Ooh, yeah! <laughs> oh, there's going to be a lot of Macho Man impressions on next week's show. I hope you're all ready for it. You thought Al Pacino was bad. Ooh, ah. <laughs> Spoiler alert as well, it's f***ing terrific. It is absolutely great. I've got actually almost two weeks between when we're recording this episode and when we'll be recording that episode. I'm wondering if I've got enough time to work on Al Pacino as Macho Man Randy Savage. (laughs) Tune in to find out. That was the episode. Ash, what did you make of it? As I think we've covered... I did not like the Elite Three, and my favourite team went out at the first post. But I really dug the news and review section. That was very cool to see, and also to show exactly how far we've come in a very short space of time technologically. I did dig the Celebrity Challenge. I know, as we said, it wasn't the most exciting, but it was also satisfying. And I did appreciate the kind of broad spectrum of games that we saw yeah, okay, having Yogi back and his clock obsession at the beginning, that was a bit odd, but it was nice to see the game being played properly. It was a nice way to do the Lotus Challenge that was different rather than just be a purely time-based challenge to actually have it distance-based, that was fun. As we've gone over the Ronnie O'Sullivan Pool Challenge, that was cool. And the final challenge, I liked that it was a basketball game rather than just another football game. I'd have rather seen NBA Jam, but that's neither here nor there. At least it was a different game that's something to say yeah that is what i would say on that one yeah because we only only had nba jam a couple of weeks ago and the consultation zone was great because it was the sort of tips that you could only really do properly in video form i thought this was actually a pretty good episode overall even if i didn't like the end result and even if some aspects of it rubbed me up the wrong way oh and also big positive the dave perry curse is broken regarding female challenges yeah I think it does come up again before the show, before the series is out, but at least it was over for this episode. I'm probably putting this around the 87% mark. Mm-hmm, okay. I thought this was a step up from the previous weeks. I am going to be quite a lot lower than you, I think, on this one. Not like dramatically lower, but like I am going to be lower. 45%. <laughs> but I think I'm going to be at like a bang on 80, because I don't think I can take it into the 70s. I, I enjoyed the review zone a lot. Like I really enjoyed like Mystical Ninja and Alone in the Dark. The preview of Virtual Fighter was fascinating. And I really dug the consultation zone this week for all the reasons we discussed about it being ideal for TV as opposed to it being for print media.
media. But kind of what let me down on this episode were the three challenges. Like we've seen Yogi on this show. I enjoyed the inventiveness of the Lotus three challenge, but also it is like, you know, watching the same three challenges over again wasn't great. The Jammy challenge was broadly fine. And the side pocket challenge was, again, you know, it was okay. It was just sort of there, like a lot of these celebrity challenges are. That's kind of like what brings it down for me, unfortunately, is actually the, the challenge aspect of it. But I like the episode overall because the review zone was great. The consultation zone was great. I actually think those two really level this uh, this this episode up. So I'm, I'm not going to go below 80, but I'm sticking hard on 80 for this. I mean, that's fair. By our standards, a 7% disagreement is actually quite a lot. But realistically, we see way more disparity between magazine review scores when we're comparing the various games or even between opinions in the review zone. So I think only having a 7% separation, that's fine. I think we'll survive this one, Luke. <laughs> yeah. It's not like Guns N' Roses all over again. That's all we've got time for for this edition of the show. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, we'll be back in seven days' time. But if you do want to follow this podcast, we're on Twitter at underconsolepod, on Instagram at under.console, and you can email us feedback at underconsultation.com. Or if you fancy a bit of real-time interaction to talk with us, to talk with other listeners of Under Consultation, other fans of games and retro gaming and Games Master in general, you can join our Discord, which in the past few weeks has had a bit of a growth spurt. We've, we've got a whole raft of new people, but the conversation is just bursting out all over the place. We've had talks about magazines. We've had talks about other podcasts. We've got other podcasters in there. We've got all sorts of people mingling, exchanging ideas, exchanging information. And one of the nicest things I've seen out of it is a lot of these newcomers have just said how much they're enjoying it. Yeah, how much it's nicer than they thought it would be and they weren't expecting the kind of warm welcome that they received. It's a lovely thing to foster in today's internet world. Oh, it really is indeed, yeah. But if you want to support this podcast monetarily, you can do so over at patreon.com forward slash under console pod. If you back us at any amount, you'll get access to under consultation extra, which is our bonus review show that we do. We've done uh, gladiators, we've done finders, keepers, we've done supermarket sweep, the real ghostbusters. It's a, there's a whole nightmare. There's like a very like, an eclectic mix of uh, shows from the from British or you know actually from around the world at this point. I love how diverse and all over the place the uh, selection is for the under consultation extra. And I've actually had recently a couple of ideas of how we can take it even further out there, Luke. Wow. Okay. Yeah, I've got I've I've got plans, mate. It's all it's it's all it's all being worked out. Uh, and you can also get access to Under Console Nation, which is our community podcast that we do every single month on a Thursday. Uh, so yeah, you can join us on, for the chat along with that. Ask us some questions, have a little chat with us about games. It's a grand old time. And at the five pound level, you get next week's episode one week early and ad free. But at the ten pound level, you get something a little bit extra. What do they get, Ash? Ooh, at that ten pound level, they get a Under Consultation Patreon exclusive variant of our mug. And inside that mug, you get retro trading cards, Power Rangers at the moment, retro sweeties, a dip-dab, mm -hmm. badges, stickers, and £5 off our first under-consultation t-shirt, which is available along with other mugs, other stickers, other badges at underconsultation.com. 
www.thepodcast.com. And a shout out to those £10 backers, William, Simon, Sean, Robert, Rich, Nick, Misha, Matt, Joe, Jamie, Gordon, David, Cliff, Adam Warrington, Adam D, Colin and Carol. Thank you all so much for supporting this show. We truly do appreciate it. We will see you in seven days time for the final heat of the team championships and Oh yeah, the macho man, Randy Savage. Take care, everyone. Yo, dudes. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.